Sunday, 4th October 2009, one week in Fremantle. It has been little over a week that Madhai sailed into the Fremantle Sailing Club Marina, escorted by a powerboat twice her size, with the wind blowing over 35 knots. She was well received by representatives of the club, the Australian Navy, the boat's agent and the mandatory customs and quarantine officials, who finished off their inspections in no time and made us feel at home. Mr. John Sanders, with four solo circumnavigations under his belt, brought by to check us out. Next afternoon, we had a little reception at the club with the Honorary Council General of India, the Indian Naval Attaché, Commanding Officer HMAS Sterling, and a host of retired Indian Naval and Army officers in attendance. My lone support team, Lieutenant Commander Abhilash Tommy, fetched up the next day by air. Madhai had beaten Air India by a good two days. We are enjoying the hospitality of the club and the city of Fremantle with Madhai at a secure alongside berth and the crew at a service department not too far away. The club is planning to have their season opening event on 11th October and we are invited for the sail pass. Probably the first time an Indian boat will be taking part. Starting work on the boat, cleaning up, changing shaft lines, sending sails to the loft for minor repairs, a mask climb to check the fittings on top and a dive to check the bottom. Like the old adage, a housewife's work is never done. The work on a boat is never over you always find something that needs doing. Apart from working on the boat, there are small pleasures to be enjoyed, like sleeping on a bed for the entire night instead of a bunk or sleeping bag, making a cup of coffee and breakfast in the morning without bracing yourself for the next roll, having a hot water bath daily without having to worry about the water maker, going to a vegetable market and buying fresh fruit, taking a long brisk walk without running out of walking space. The list goes on. Funny how many things we take for granted on land. Staying in a service department means I can mess around in the kitchen and my crew is the only obvious guinea pig who eats whatever is served to him with a smile, including some juicy kangaroo steaks. Looking forward to attending a concert by Jagjit Singh in the evening at the invitation of the Honorary Council General. Once Avilash arrived in Fremantle, we started working, preparing the boat for the next leg. Ratnagar soon followed Avilash to Fremantle and the team was together again. There was plenty of work, partially repairs, Partially improvements, a boat like any other complex piece of machinery needs time to settle down, something that we had not been able to give to Madhi. Often equipment that was to be installed and tested by the service engineer of an equipment manufacturer had been installed by us, referring to the installation manuals in the absence of such service engineers in India. The systems had worked so far with a few hiccups, but needed to be installed properly to avoid problems in the future. Fremantle was a nice yacht-friendly port where we could get a lot of such work done, buy good quality tools and spares and generally improve the state of the boat. There were also some doubts about the boat's design, especially with regard to her rigging. The near uprooting of the main sheet pad eye had been an unusual accident. While I had managed to deal with the problem in light winds, it could be very serious in the southern ocean if it happened again. The best way to prevent a recurrence was to understand why it happened. Was it due to faulty design? Did the boat need a traveller instead of a single pad eye to hold the main sheet block? If so, how could we best fit a traveller? If at all we could. Were the pad eye and block of the correct size? Or was it just inexperience resulting in poor sailing skills on my part? There are opinions, points and counterpoints. Everyone was concerned about the boat's next legs through the southern ocean. So far, the weather conditions hadn't been too bad. The boat had sailed well across the tropics and through the trade winds, proving her mettle. Her biggest test lay ahead though, that of transiting the southern ocean. 
one can use the best quality equipment on a boat to reduce the chances of breakage or malfunction but if the basic design is not up to the mark the best of the equipment will fail at some point opinions and likely solutions kept increasing the more we discussed the subject though none could be considered the perfect solution the final call had to be mine and yet again i was acutely reminded of my inexperience on the subject i wasn't keen on making any major structural modifications to the boat as that would have meant getting in the southern ocean with something totally untested i finally put my foot down against changing the basic arrangements on the boat but trying to fit a traveler instead of the lone pad i i bought a nice oversized block to replace the main sheet block and promised to keep checking the pad i bolts daily to detect any potential problem still the discussions on the subject as well meaning as they were continued till i left new zealand fortunately the problem never occurred again and the boat continued to sail the way she was fixed in fremantle it wasn't a case of all work and no play as a naval vessel we were expected to play the role of the country's ambassadors too we made a lot of new friends renewed old friendships and generally enjoyed our stay in fremantle the weather was perfect the fremantle sailing club offered us all their facilities during our stay and even waived off two weeks of berthing fees it was great to take part in the season opening regatta and a few days later take the indian high commissioner to australia mrs sujatha singh for a sail in fremantle harbor she having flown down across the continent from canberra to meet us often people wouldn't believe i was the first indian attempting such a trip one question i was often asked was how come you're the first person attempting a circumnavigation in a maritime nation of over a billion people i didn't have a good answer to it and it touched something inside me i vowed to ask it to my fellow citizens once i got back indeed why had we not even attempted something like this before realizing that i was getting a bit too stressed working on the boat and needed a break in the routine my old friends pip sawyer and john sharpy practically dragged me for a weekend to their vineyard which was a few hours drive from fremantle i was understandably a bit apprehensive about leaving madhe alone but the visit through the southern australian countryside really refreshed me we managed to visit cape lewin the first of the three great capes i was to round in a few days standing at cape lewin lighthouse and looking south i wondered what it would look like from seaward when i was on my way to entering the southern ocean the sea looked nice from the land as it always does the strong wind was refreshing and i was in the midst of friends having a good time the thought that all this would change in a few days when i would be alone on a bobbing madhe was never far from my mind eventually thanks to the wind gods I didn't catch sight of this landmark from sea as the winds pushed us away from the Australian landmass in the first few days out of Fremantle. Our very pleasant sojourn in Fremantle came to its end with the month of October and it was time to set sail again. Thanks to some creative planning from naval headquarters, my shore support team had already left. On the morning of 1st November 2009, I returned my rented car, picked up some fresh bread from a bakery on the way and walked down to Fremantle Sailing Club to get on Madhe and sail out. As I was walking towards the boat I met a pair of officers from the customs and immigration department Are you going on that boat sir asked the officer Yes I am Well here are your papers have a good trip They handed me my papers and drove off making me wonder about the difference in the working and attitude of their counterparts back home It was a beautiful day with clear skies and a nice breeze It was nice to see a bunch of friends who had dropped by to see me off The last of the goodbyes said photographs clicked I started the engine and madhai was off on her next leg less than a mile from the entrance to the marina as i started raising the mainsail i realized that the reefing lines were hopelessly tangled with the main sheet block 
We had fitted the new mainsail block in a hurry two days ago and I had not bothered to check things out properly. The job could be done in less than 30 minutes alongside with someone to give me a hand. For a moment, I did think about returning and asking Pip and John, who lived nearby, to come down and give me a hand. No, we are not going back in for something as stupid as this. Let us get this thing sorted as best as we can and on our own, ordered my pesky alter ego. It would eventually take me almost two hours to get the lines in order while drifting tantalizingly close to the harbour entrance before we finally sailed out of the harbour under a full mainsail and Genoa. It was nice to be back at sea. I had heard and read a lot about the ferocity of the Southern Ocean, which had created excitement as well as apprehension in my mind at various times. The imagining game was finally over and we, Madhi and I, were on our way to experience our biggest challenge first time. We ran straight into some southeasterly winds as we rounded Rottnest Island at the mouth of Fremantle Harbour and headed into the open sea. The winds had built up a good 4 meter swell and we were heading into it. Slamming into it actually. Not the best situation when you are sailing after a month's sojourn on land. The winds kept increasing as we bore away from the coast. The wind and current pushing us south-southwest while we wanted to sail south-southeast. The day passed soon, adjusting to the progressively violent motion of the boat and sorting out things inside. As the sun set, we were greeted with a nice moonlit night that no doubt could have been better enjoyed without the violent motion of the boat. At around 20-30 hours, the boat was slamming through the waves but making good speed. I was lying in my bunk wondering if and when I should take in the Genoa and another reef. Suddenly, there was a big thrashing noise outside and the boat started vibrating as if something very big were holding the mask and shaking the boat, intent upon uprooting it. I jumped outside, realized that the Genoa was thrashing uncontrollably and started furling it frantically. It must have been just about three seconds from the time I heard the noise and tried to furl the Genoa, only to realize moments later that my efforts were futile. My very strong and expensive sail had shredded itself to bits in a matter of seconds. This was not a good way to begin the second leg of the trip. The sail was expected to last me for my entire voyage. I was really distraught. I gathered myself together and tried to figure out the reason for the accident. It hurt to see bits of sail fluttering around from the forestay. The deck fitting seemed alright, which was good news as it meant I could theoretically use the spare Genoa I had. The next likely culprit was the Genoa sheet, which seemed intact too. I just couldn't figure out the cause of the mishap. Never mind what has happened. There will be plenty of time to figure that out, I thought. The most important thing was to plan the course ahead. The boat had slowed down considerably and as the wind dropped, which it eventually would, she would slow down even further. I had a spare Genoa in the sail locker, but I had never set it up on my own, even in harbour. Normally, it would take about an hour for the three of us to set it up in windless conditions alongside. Could I possibly do it at sea, even when the wind reduced and the sea calmed down? I wasn't all that sure. I also realized that I had a more urgent problem on my hands than the boat speed. The torn sail every now and then was fluttering violently, threatening to rip apart the mast fittings like the radar and shaking the rig so much that I started getting worried about the mast. I needed to get the torn sail down first if I didn't want to get dismasted. The other easier alternative was to turn back to Fremantle. 
we were about 18 nautical miles from harbor and could have entered before sunset the next day. The next course of action would be to get a new sail made and sail out again after a few days. The second option sounded like an easier option with fewer chances of failure. As I was weighing my options, the pesky alter ego woke up, causing a virtual mutiny on board between the skipper and himself. How can you think of turning back and heading for the same harbour that bid you farewell a few hours back? No way. You can't turn back. The boat is still sailing. The wind is bound to reduce and the sea will calm down sometime. Why not try and change the sail or at least get the torn one down when that happens? But I have never done it before. It is difficult enough to do it in harbour with a crew. You know it as well as I do. Big deal. That is what everyone said when we started the project. That no Indian had done it before because it was too difficult and bound to fail. And here we are, about to enter the southern ocean with over 10,000 nautical miles behind us. Do you remember how you shut up the naysayers and moved on? Yes, I used to smile and tell them there was always a first time. At worst, we would fail, but at least we would not be found wanting for lack of effort. And what was that Urdu couplet we used to mutter while dealing with such people? Girte hain shay sawar hi, maidane jang mein, wo tifl kya gire, jo ghutno ke bal chale. Only those who ride in a battlefield can fall. How can cowards who walk on their knees ever... So what's so different now? You did all this for the first time and now you are apprehensive about changing one sail? Stop this nonsense. Let the weather improve and then try to get the torn sail off. That will solve one urgent problem. We can then figure out a way of setting up the spare sail. If we can't, we continue sailing slowly till New Zealand. Anyway, if the Southern Ocean shows its true colours, we will be sailing with minimum sails and this big sail won't be needed. Okay, deal. Let us continue and keep a lookout for a window of calm weather. We'll figure out what to do after that. Now, that's a good guy. Can we have something to eat? I'm very hungry and tired. Bolognese sauce with bread, okay? I'm too tired to cook anything fresh. That'll be perfect. Just for the doctor ordered. Let us eat and rest a little. So ended one of the many arguments on board. We continued slamming south-southwest for the next two days before the wind started slackening and the swell reduced. Early morning on 3rd November, I managed to get the torn sail off. Well, most of it that is. Even when I reached New Zealand over two weeks later, I was recovering bits and pieces of it from the rigging. I was relieved to see that there wasn't any damage to the furler that takes up the sail. Once the torn sail was off, I started getting a little more ambitious. Why not follow the same procedure in reverse sequence and get the spare one up, I thought. It took much more time and effort to do that. The sail tends to bellow with even a little wind and is big enough to throw you in the water if you are not careful. If a part of it gets out of the boat and in the water, it tends to drag the rest of it in water, including the person who happens to be sitting on it. Eventually, I managed to finish the job. It had taken me over four hours of intense work to complete it. And I was exhausted but very satisfied. Madhi was almost as good as she was when we left Fremantle and we were ready to take on the Southern Ocean. That evening, I sat and wrote the first block of the second leg.